are in the book of Zechariah, which if you've been with us through the minor prophets, we've already made it through 10 of the 12. We are starting the 11th. And if my math is correct, and I know it is, that means after Zechariah, we only have Malachi. And we'll finish our majoring in the minors series. So while y'all are turning to Zechariah, let's ask the Lord to just give us understanding into his word. Father God, we come before you. Lord, as we open up your, your word, again, we're opening up a prophet whom you gave a specific message for a specific people at a specific time. But Father, it is still your word and it speaks through all time. As we open it, Lord, open our hearts to receive that same word that was spoken. That same word that you want to speak, Father God. Give us the ears to hear, the hearts to receive, and the strength to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start the book of Zechariah, I'll give you an idea about what the majority of the book is about, because the theme of Zechariah is the king is coming. And so Zechariah is a book, a prophetic book at the time of ancient Israel, but also a prophetic book for the future time that we have yet to enter into as of now. And Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets. And I think that would make him the least minor prophet. Not least as in importance, but just he's not as minor as all the others. His book is 14 chapters long. And when you take it in comparison, the book of Genesis, the book of Psalms, and the book of Isaiah are the most quoted books in the New Testament. When you consider their, their length, those ones are all over 50 chapters. And you think about the contents, the things that they talk about, creation. You think about the fact that it talks about all the different emotions that you can go through in the book of Psalms. And it talks about the different things like that. It's not that shocking that they're quoted all that often in the New Testament. But what might shock you is that Zechariah being only 14 chapters long is quoted 40 times in the New Testament. And this book is easily the most messianic and Christ-centered of the prophets in the minor prophets. And the last part of Zechariah is the most quoted section of the prophets in the gospel passion narratives. The New Testament makes repeated use of this book, and I believe we should too. Now, Zechariah's prophecies began sometime around October, November of 520 BC. And if you were here for the book of Haggai, you know that's the same year that Haggai gave his prophecies. Chapters one through eight can be precisely dated because they all relate to a uh, Gentile king that, and, and it was dated as such, while the remaining chapters, nine through 14, cannot be precisely dated. Zechariah's prophecies in the first eight chapters play a crucial role for Israel in reestablishing their worship after the exile. The theme verse for Zechariah comes from Zechariah 14.9. says, on that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. And in this verse, what you see here is this is the culmination of all prophecy in the Bible. You see, all prophecy in the Bible is fulfilled 
at the millennial reign of Christ when he becomes king over the whole earth. And so that brings us to the introduction part of the first part that we're going to look at. I've titled my message this morning, Zechariah's Call. And we're going to look at the first six verses of Zechariah chapter one. Now, have you ever found yourself in that uncomfortable space? You know, that space of tension within a relationship. It's usually after someone has done something to mess it up, or maybe you're the one that messed it up. Somehow there was a break in the relationship or a, a, a offense. It happens in all relationships. Don't feel like you're the only one in which it happens to. But there's a space where you can be in the same room while feeling like you're miles apart. That felt distance is a hard gap to close, and the only way to close that distance is to provide resolution to what caused it in the first place. Well, as we start the book of Zechariah, this is a book of prophecy that begins with night visions and then moves and ends with future visions of the coming king and his kingdom. But before Israel can get to those visions, they have a distance with God that they need to close. They're returning from exile and they're wondering, where do they stand with God? Are they still God's chosen people? Are they still God's people? Or is he done with them? Are they just like regular people now? What does this mean for the promises that he gave them before? The promises he gave them before when they went into exile, does that mean they're gone? Does that mean they no longer stand? Maybe we can relate to how they're feeling. As I think back to being a kid, I, I, I remember when, when you got in trouble as a kid, like not little trouble, like you called your sister a name or something or you punched your brother or something like that. I'm talking like big trouble. Like you broke the neighbor's car window or something like that. And your parents come down on you and they're like so mad at you. And they, they say things that they probably didn't really mean, but you hear them. And, and so you're like, great, they're done with me. They're going to ask me to move out. They're nine years old. And as we come out of that discipline in which they were mad at us and, 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 and they were furious with us. And we're coming out of that. We're kind of like testing the waters and, and we're kind of like, how's it going? Can I still call you mom? Can I still call you dad? And wondering where we stand with our parents. Like, are, are, are they done with us? Like, do we still have a seat at the table? Did they take that away? Well, Zechariah's call is the call for Israel to close that gap that they're feeling. And before we decide that this message isn't for us, we have to truly consider and think about our relationship with the Lord and let us consider our closeness with him. And let us keep in mind this recorded event that happened at the White House during the Truman administration. Clark Clifford was a White House counsel during the Truman administration, and he was at a White House banquet and one night when, on, on one night, when one of the guests turned to the woman next to him, he said, did I get your name correctly? He asked, is your name Post? And yes, it is, the woman said. Is, is it Emily Post? Well, yes, she replied. Like Emily Post, the world-renowned authority on manners? The man asked. Yes, Miss Post said. Why do you ask? Because the man said, you've just eaten my salad. You see, knowing something and applying it are two different matters. 
And it's totally possible to be an expert on manners and yet eat the wrong salad. It's possible to be an expert on the Bible and not apply that knowledge in your daily life. So let's all make the commitment right now as we go into Zechariah to hear what the Lord is saying here and not be like, oh, that's for other people. Oh, that's for the person next to me. Like, let us hear it and, and, and hear what God is saying to us individually. Starting in Zechariah 1, verse 1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says, return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? Do the prophets live forever? But didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? So the people repented and said, as the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. And so as we look to the call to Zechariah, I want you to realize it's a double entendre. So the first is that there is a call to Zechariah. Verse one, it says in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Now, Zechariah is a prophet like Haggai, post-exilic, meaning after the exile, but he's a prophet of the tribe of Levi and he was born in Babylon. Zechariah is identified as the son of Berechiah and the grandson of Edo, the priest. And Ezra and Nehemiah both identify him as a descendant of Edo, probably implying that his father died at an early age, meaning that Zechariah was the successor for his grandfather. As Jeremiah and Ezekiel before him, Zechariah is both priest and prophet. Zechariah was a contemporary to Haggai. And while Haggai was old, Zechariah was relatively young. I can relate. If Haggai was all that we had to go on, we might conclude that God might only be interested in getting the temple rebuilt. But since we have the prophet of Zechariah, what we get to see is that God is actually interested in the lives of the people as well. The three names related with Zechariah give us the message of his prophecy as you've probably noticed by now, going through 10 of these prophets, their name has great significance to their message. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Berechiah means Jehovah will bless. And Edo means at the appointed time. So if you take all together, here's the message. The Lord remembers and will bless at the appointed time. Zechariah was sent to encourage the people in their calling and in their work for the Lord. Essentially, what he was saying was God is saying he remembers the plans and the promises made previously, and he will indeed bless you at the appointed time. So endure, persevere, and don't give up. 
That is a message that we need to hear today as well. Maybe we think that there's been different things going on and we see that the world's going to, you know, where in a handbasket and everything's just kind of crashing down and we go, wait a minute, is God, like, has he forgotten? Or maybe we've messed up and maybe we're out on, on, on the outs with him. We feel that distance with him and we're wondering. And, and he's saying he remembers his plans. He remembers his promises and he will indeed bless you at the appointed time. Persevere endure, and don't give up. So the date was set again based on a Gentile ruler, and that's just a reminder that they were in the times of the Gentiles. Because the times of the Gentiles, like when Jesus spoke in Luke 21, and Daniel in chapters 2 and 7 of the book of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles is when the Gentiles have their kingdoms, but Israel does not. There is no king that sits on the throne in Israel ever since the Babylonian exile, and that goes on to today. It goes on until today. That means we live in the times of the Gentiles, and the times of the Gentiles will continue until Christ comes back and sits on the throne in Jerusalem over Israel and over the whole earth. And Zechariah is the agent of the message, he is not the originator. Anybody who speaks the word of the Lord is not the originator of the message. And I say that because I saw on Facebook, there's an ad and, and I sent it to my wife. I said, I, I think I need to go to this. And it was an ad and it was inviting anybody who wanted to come and learn how to prophesy like a prophet. It's not something that you can just learn. You can't just go and learn how to prophesy like a prophet. That is a calling from God. That is a message that is given to you from God that is burning in your heart. It comes from the Lord. And so if, and, and, and when it comes from the Lord, it means that his word will never contradict anything else. And so if you have someone who says that they are a prophet of the Lord and they proceed to prophesy and it goes against the word of God, they're a false prophet. And in the Old Testament, you could stone them. Don't do it today. It's not acceptable. We live in the age of grace. The point is, God is the originator of of his word, even though he calls other men to speak it. And those who are called to speak it, it's also a caution. Make sure you're only speaking the message of the Lord. And so that's Zechariah's call. But then on the other side of it, Zechariah gives a call. He gives a call to return. In verses two and three, it says, the Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says. Return to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Zechariah's first words are a statement of the Lord's anger with the ancestors of Israel. It's an affirmation that the destruction of Jerusalem, that the desolation and the destruction of the temple, as well as their exile, witnessed and experienced by the previous generation was God's divine anger. It was not happy coincidence. It was God was in fact extremely angry with that generation for their sins. The sin 
of their fathers had doomed them to exile. And Zechariah began with a reminder that their Lord is a God whose anger burns against sin. And that's a message we need to hear today. The people then and the people today need to hear that the Lord simply cannot tolerate sin among his people. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody that's been given a platform that says that they identify and then they'll list their sin. They said, I am this And yet they also claim the name of Christ. They want to identify with their sin and identify with Christ. We can't do that. God does not tolerate sin. He will never be okay with sin. Never come and go, oh, God's okay with my sin. He's okay. He's he's a forgiving and a loving God. No, he's a God whose anger burns against sin. The only identification that you have is your identification in Christ Jesus who died for your sin. And so then we have, <clears throat> we have to be aware of God's holiness. We have to respond appropriately. Leviticus 19.2 says, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God am holy. See, this group was a remnant of those who had gone to Babylon Israel, when they were taken into captivity and went into Babylon, they went in with probably close to millions of people. Maybe some died, maybe, maybe a lot of them died, but the, the group that came out of Babylon was about 50,000. That's like a small portion of what went in. And that 50,000 that did return, they are the most committed to the Lord. Why? Because they want to see the restoration of Jerusalem. They want to see the temple rebuilt. They left Babylon. Zechariah was born in Babylon. There were many others that came out that were born in Babylon. That was all they knew. They were comfortable in Babylon because Babylon, when they were conquered by Persia, Persia had the idea that if we allow them to kind of have their, their space and whatnot, they're, gonna, they're not going to revolt against us. They're not going to fight against it. And isn't that true? Like the world tells us that if I just make it comfortable for them, they're not going to kick against it very much. They're just going to assimilate. They're going to, they're going to keep the peace. They're going to keep quiet and not rock the boat. After 18 years returned in the land, they needed to hear this and they needed to heed the warning from the Lord. God says to Zechariah, he says, so tell the people, so tell the people that's in relation to what I just said, that my that I was extremely angry with your ancestors because of what was said before. The Lord of armies says, return to me. And again, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And then he proclaims, I will return to you. You see, the sins of their forefathers were responsible for the desolation and destruction of the temple. Their own sins themselves resulted in the rebuilding of the temple being delayed further. God, however, despite both those things, he didn't say, oh, great, you're just like your ancestors. That's it, you're done. No, he, him, he gave an invitation of grace to repent. He says, return to me, turn from this, turn back to me. In other words, the call is to repent. Repentance is when you turn from what you're doing and you turn back to the Lord. That is repentance. And the call to repentance is an invitation of grace to grace. 
You see, the call to repentance is God's own grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God gave it anyway. And the invitation is to come to grace. Not, he's not saying, return to me so I can punish you. And you can be like, we got to set it right. You got to be punished and then, and then uh, we'll go from there. No, he says, return to me and I will forgive. I will cover. I will overlook your sin. Though your sins have made you like scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Notice that God didn't just want them. He didn't say, just return to the work. He didn't say, just return to the temple. Just return to church. Just return to worship. No, what he said was, return to me. He didn't want them to return to the law and following the law and being holy and, and, and being legalistic and all this. But his call was literally return to me. The complete committed return to the Lord himself would then result in the Lord returning to them. What an amazing promise. You see, adverse circumstances had discouraged God's people. We've talked about this before. They, they were in that space where they felt that God was far away. The land was desolate after 70 years of neglect in the exile. The work was hard. They didn't have much money left or any resources anymore because they prolonged the work another 16 years. Their crops were failing. They had nothing in the storehouse. They had nothing to continue to survive on. And then they had hostile enemies resisting their work. And here's where those hostile enemies came from. When they first went back into the land, they were going to rebuild the temple. Everybody from all the pagan nations and, and things around them said, we'll help you build the temple. Israel said, our temple cannot be built with the hands of those who are unholy. And so they said, oh, you don't think we're good enough to build your temple? Well, now we're going to oppose you and we're not going to let you build your temple either. And so they had enemies now from that. And so all this was going on. And, you know, when, when hard times hit, what do we think of? Oh, it was better back when. Israel has had this problem since they came out of Egypt. Of where they have to struggle and they go, oh, it was better back when. So they're probably thinking it was better back in Babylon. We didn't have to struggle as hard. Just like when they were in the wilderness and they said, oh, Moses, we want to get rid of you. We're going to raise up a new leader. Let's go back to Egypt. Remember when we ate meat every single day? And they forget that they cried out to the Lord out of their oppression. And so they, they, they were feeling that God was far from them. And so Zechariah was called to tell them that the Lord is only as far away as they want him to be. Return to him and he will return to you. And as I read that, I'm reminded of James the apostle because we have the same thing spoken to us in the New Testament. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, if we make the effort to return, God's promise is that he will respond. This is why when people share that they've tried getting close to God, but he didn't answer, I wonder if they ever truly tried because I believe in the adage, let God be true. Yet every man is a liar. So because God is either lying that he would return if we, if we turn to him or we're not being truthful about actually seeking him and drawing near to him because his promise is to return to those who turn to him. 
And we also have to remember that if we're far from God, it isn't he who has left, but we who've distanced ourselves. It reminds me of the story I read. And this elderly couple is driving down the road and they're driving in one of those cars. It's got that full front bench seat, right? We're talking like those old Buick cars, okay? It has the full bench seat. And as they drive, the wife is just looking out the window like daydreaming and she sees all the other cars where they have these cute young couples and they're so close. They're like holding each other's arms and they're like finishing each other's sandwiches and they're doing all that. And she's looking out and she's going, oh, I remember when. And so she turns to her husband and she says, why is it we don't sit that close anymore? And as the husband's sitting there driving, he goes, well, it wasn't me who moved, right? Because the driver doesn't move. If we're far from God, he hasn't moved. Sometimes we may wish, though, that God would make us return to him. Maybe some of us are so stubborn and obstinate that we're like, man, Lord, you just got to make me come to you. Or maybe when we're praying for our loved ones that have veered or that have strayed, the ones that we're just like, man, they just need to wake up and realize they need God. And in and we just go, make them come to you, Lord, because they're not going to do it of their own will. But God calls us out of our own choice because God wants a freely given love. And so he prompts us to choose him and return to him. Now, if you've made it this far in your Christian walk without encountering the Arminian and Calvinist um, debate, good on you. I'm going to introduce you to it. But I also want you to know this. That debate's been going on for thousands of years. Hasn't been solved yet. But here's where the debate kind of had its origination. It was between two people. One was named Pelagius. The other was Augustine. And so in his disputations with Pelagius, Augustine gave careful attention to right here in Zechariah 1 verse 3. You see, Augustine strongly opposed the Pelagian view. The Pelagian view is that God extends his grace based upon a recipient's own merits, that we earn the grace of God. In contrast, Augustine argued that God gives grace freely, not on the basis of human worth to receive that grace. When commenting on this verse, this is what Augustine wrote. One of these clauses that which invites our return to God evidently belongs to our will, while the other which promises his return to us belongs to his grace. You see, the Calvinist-Arminian view is the whole debate between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And the way that this verse lays it out is pretty straightforward. God, in his own Sovereign grace chose to make open a pathway to receive that grace. He said, return to me and I will return to you. He calls them to return based on his promise to return. The choice is theirs. And we don't make him do anything. He said, I promise I will return to you if you turn to me. The choice is theirs, and you know what? The same choice is ours today. 
Zechariah also gave a call to remember. Look at verses four and five. It says, do not be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? Do the prophets live forever? You see, Zechariah is then directed to call the people to remember. And the reason they need to remember is they need to heed the warning. The warning is do not be like your ancestors. Now it's been said, and I tried to find the original author of this quote, but everybody has said it by now. And so if you attribute one person, you're probably not getting the right person. So I didn't attribute anybody at all. But I will tell you, it's not me. I didn't say this. Learning from your mistakes makes you smart. Learning from other people's mistakes makes you a genius. Learn from other people's mistakes because you'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. Do not be like your ancestors. And what he means by this, the earlier prophets proclaimed to them and they proclaimed, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. He says, but here's what they chose. They did not listen. They did not pay attention. They ignored. He's saying, call to remember and not be like them in disobedience. The earlier prophets are separated from Zechariah and his contemporaries by the year of exile. That's how we remember them, pre-exilic and post-exilic. The exile is the division between the prophets. Pre-exilic preaching and prophesying featured the call to repentance. Well, guess what? Post-exilic has the same thing. Except with the backdrop of remember what happened when they didn't listen. Isaiah verse Chapter 30, verse 9 to 11 says, They are a rebellious people, deceptive children, children who do not want to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy the truth to us. Tell us flattering things, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, leave the pathway, rid us of the Holy One of Israel. When you look at the life of Jeremiah the prophet, They came to Jeremiah when they were under such trouble. They said, Jeremiah, tell us what God is saying. We need to know what God is saying. And Jeremiah says, okay, here's what the Lord is saying. And they said, oh, we don't like that. You're going to go spend some time in the dung dungeon. Standing around in muck. And then after a while, things get bad again. They're like, go ask Jeremiah what the Lord says. And so they pull him out. They bring him up. And they say, tell us what the Lord is saying. And he's so much nicer than I am because I would have said, forget it. But he goes again, he says, this is what the Lord is saying. And they said, ah, we don't like it. And you're going back in there. And so they send him back into the muck to stand there. And they do this several times over. We have to be careful. We have to remember that call is to remember. Don't be like your ancestors who did not listen, did not heed the prophets. Instead, treated them like that. Remember their place. Remember their sinful deeds. Remember their call. Remember their choice was disobedience. And do not be like your fathers in their stubborn disobedience. And here's the truth. The pull to be like our fathers is great. And it's hard. And it takes conscious effort to avoid their sins. 
Speaking as a parent, much of what a child picks up is not explicitly taught. Rather, it's inadvertently caught. Dads, I want to speak to you. When we talk to our kids and we tell them something and they look right at us and they go, oh yeah, I understand. And then they go off and they do the, the thing that we told them not to do, right? We can tell them, hey, don't ever do this, don't ever do that. But the one moment that you do it, they will forever do it for the rest of their life. What do I mean by that? Many fall into their parents' sin before they even realize what we're doing. How do we respond at home to referees on the TV screen? When the calls are made, how do we respond? Our, our kids pick that up. How do we handle it when we're frustrated? If you ever wonder when you go, and then your, your kid does, where did they pick it up from? What about driving? You see, when you see all those idiots on the road and you name them as such, and then all of a sudden from the back seat, the next time you're in the same situation, they go, oh man, that guy was an idiot. Be careful not to be like your ancestors who disobeyed and did not pay attention to me, the Lord says. It was their sin that facilitated their abandonment of God. You see, when you choose sin over God, you're abandoning God. And God warned them over and over again. He sent them all the prophets. They would not listen. They would not give heed. James says in James 1.19, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Continues on, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he is. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. James said a man must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And for the first time, I've seen this verse not as a matter of my attitude towards people. It is our attitude about how we handle the word of God. Be quick to hear what God has to say. When God speaks, don't argue with it. And when God condemns you, don't get angry. Be humble and receive it. For if you argue with God or ignore what he has to say to you, you will never achieve the righteousness that he requires and that he's calling you to. Zechariah also speaks the caution of the Lord about, a time, about time running out. You see, he, he calls them to remember also that time runs out. There's a peril of delay. He says, where are your ancestors now? Do the prophets live forever? The answer is no, they're dead. They're buried. We've already had their funerals and moved on and a new generation is raised up. They're dead from the sword. They're dead from famine. They're dead from pestilence. They're dead from natural causes. The implied answer is that no, they don't live forever. You see, the ministries of the prophets were brief. The opportunities for the repentance they preached were not to be ignored. The death of the prophets indicates that there was a loss of opportunity for the nation and the people. 
You see, God had given the Jews ample time to repent and escape punishment. But what they did instead was they ignored the message. They wasted the opportunity. And then there came a time where the opportunity had passed. Do you think God just warns and warns and warns and warns and warns and never does anything about it? Well, that's what Peter was addressing in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, there will come a day in which there will be scoffers and they will come scoffing saying, where is the promise of his return? He's not returning. He said he was going to return. He hasn't returned yet. That means he's not returning. They say, oh, don't worry about it. God's not going to judge because he said he's been coming back and he hasn't come back yet. No, that just means that there's opportunity. Don't wait until it's too late and the opportunity passes. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah 55, the prophet says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he's near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one abandon his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. And so the call is to remember, do not delay. Spiritual opportunity does not last forever. Their ancestors had died. The prophets had died. And you know what? If the Lord tarries any longer, we may also die. And here's the thing. If we don't respond obediently to the Lord today, we may not have a tomorrow. And Zechariah's last call was the call to realize. The call to realize. In verse 6, the Lord continues on in his message. He says, but didn't my words... And my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors. So the people repented and said, as the Lord of armies decided to deal with us for our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. God's promises outlived and outlasted all of the previous prophets, all of their ancestors. Though the people and the prophets died, God's word continued on to be fulfilled. His words overtook them because his words are certain and his words are going to be accomplished and fulfilled. Verses five and six, when you take them together and look at them, it says, although your fathers died and even God's prophets died, his word is still with you. His word is still true. When God's word warns of his discipline on our sin, it's not an idle threat. God's word overtook their fathers and that word overtake, it's a hunting term in the Hebrew. And it has the idea of relentlessly pursuing and hunting down. In fact, that word first is appeared in the law where it talks about the avenger of blood. You see, the Old Testament had a, had a, a, a law that was, if you accidentally killed somebody else, then a descendant of their family had the right to chase you down and kill you back. 
there was this weird game, and I call it a game because there was also set up these places called cities of refuge. And it wasn't really a game, okay? God isn't like out there playing this weird game. He, he was allowing for a uh, opportunity. If, if you really knew you were innocent, you could run and you could go to a city of refuge and the elders that there would take you in, hear your case before the avenger of blood was able to catch up to you, overtake you and kill you. And if they hear your case and they thought you were guilty anyway, they'd throw you out and let you be killed. If they heard your case and believed you, you stayed there now. You were now a citizen of the city of refuge until the high priest died. When the high priest died, then you were free to go and you didn't have to worry about the avenger of blood anymore. So that's where it's talking about overtaking as a hunting term. So the idea is this, be sure that your sin will find you out. Realize this, God always wins. It's futile to think that you can get away with or continue in your sin. Numbers 32, 33 says, if you don't do this, you will certainly sin against the Lord and be sure your sin will catch up with you. You can't dodge God's word when it warns. You see, it says in the Galatians chapter six, Paul writes, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. You see the call to realize is the call to realize that God wins and his word is inescapable. First Peter chapter one, 24 says all flesh is like grass and it's glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. You see, the word tells us that there's a God who judges all sin. But the word also invites us as sinners to return to him, not for judgment, but for the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of having your sin dealt with, the blessing of having your sin covered and being declared righteous and being justified in the sight of God. And here's the the thing that we need to understand. Our call to return to him is not a one time and we're done. It's not like, oh, I turned to God and now I'm good for the rest of my life. I got my get out of jail free card. Our spiritual life is not monopoly. The call is to return over and over and over and over again. And you ask, how many times do I need to return? Well, how many times are you going to sin? Because every time you sin, you need to return. And if we're honest, that means we return at least daily, right? I won't go any further than that. We can, we can all admit that we need to return daily. I know you know that. But make sure anyways that you're eating the right salad. The call cannot be any clearer. The nation of Israel was given a choice to repent from their sins and turn to God or to remain stubborn and obstinate in disobedience and receive the same fate reminiscent of Judah of old. Zechariah, similar to the other prophets, he had the heart of God to see people spared. Those who are burdened with the word of God are burdened with the same heart of God to see people respond to the word of God. God's heart is this. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today. I've set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. 
And if you think that's an isolated declaration of the Lord, Ezekiel the prophet also cries out as the Lord gives him. The Lord says, tell them as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? We are called to remember. Remember that God judges sin. To remember the past judgments because what they do is they are a warning to turn from sin. To remember that the call to return to God is a call of obedience. Obedience brings blessing. And to also remember that like God himself, the word of God is inescapable. A promising future rests on the people's willingness to humble themselves before the Lord in submission to his covenant and its holy demands. The profound promise of verse three, return to me and I will return to you. In his call for the people to return, God was preparing them to receive the words that he would later give them. Because unless our hearts are right with God, we cannot hear his word with true spiritual comprehension. The call, even in the New Testament, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How do we harden our hearts? Because when he speaks to us, we say, that's not me. I don't have anything to turn to God for. I'm just fine. We usually hear the call given out. The call goes out for the lost sinners to repent. And that's good and that's great. And we should, we need to call those who are lost and those who are sinners to come and find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. But what we don't hear enough of is the call for God's people to repent. Yet this was the message of the prophets. This was the message of John the Baptist this was the message of Jesus himself. And the last word of our Lord to the church is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is indeed our program to, to the end of the age, but our Lord's last word to the church is repent. It's one thing to ask God to bless us, it's quite another to be the kind of people that he can bless. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, as we hear your word, I pray that, that Lord, you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word. Father, that we would choose to accept your word and obey it, Father God, on the promise that you will, if we turn to you, you will turn to us. And I pray that if there's any here this morning Maybe that is you. You are the lost sinner. You've never had a relationship with God. Maybe you've thought that God is angry with you, that there's no way you could be right with God. Hear the message today that God is calling you. Return to me and I will return to you. And you do that by coming to the foot of the cross. To Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And you come and, and you admit that you are a sinner, that you are far from God. You know you're far from God. And you ask Christ, bring me near. Forgive me of my sins. 
Be my Lord and Savior. Make me a child of God. But maybe you're in the other group. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe it's been a long time since you first came to the foot of the cross to find that initial forgiveness that placed you into the family of God. And being in the family of God, perhaps you've gone against God and, and, and you're like when we were children and we were disciplined and you were unsure of where your relationship is. You feel that distance and you wonder, how can I ever close this distance? Hear the call of your father. Return to me and I will turn to you. There's nothing special about it other than it's his undeserved grace. His call is to return to him and he will turn to you. You don't have to do anything else. Come to him. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts as we hear that message, that we would not ignore it, that we would not be like those ancestors who, who heard the message and said, no, we don't want that one. But Lord, that we would heed that message, that we would understand that your word goes on, it endures forever, and it's inescapable. That we would hear the promise in that, that, that you haven't cast us out, but that you call us back. As we sing this last song, anybody who has it in their heart that the Lord is dealing with them. I'm going to make myself available to, to be there to pray with you. If you, if you need help as you, as you come to the Lord, if you want somebody to be there with you while you do it, I'll be there. If you want to do it from where you're at in your seat, you do that. But remember, today is the day of salvation. We are not promised a tomorrow. Delay can have great peril in it. So don't leave here without getting right with God. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity that we live in a time of grace in which we can still turn to you and we can find forgiveness for our sins in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.